At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to tune into our current series, Assembly Required, Building a Case for Church, where we'll see what the Psalms teach us about a life of faith lived in community. Good afternoon, everyone. Yes, we are in Psalm 145. I hope that you can go there with your devices and your Bibles because it's a long psalm. It's a great one, and we're going to read it together. Psalm 145. Also, we will take the communion after, and so if you did not get the elements on your way in, you can just go outside. They're right there, uh, and you can grab one. Okay. Psalm 145, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for this church family. I love them. I miss them. I miss the ability to gather together without hindrance. Help us never take it for granted, Lord. Bring us back. Fill this building once again. And until then, Lord, grow us in our worship and praise of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray, Spirit of God, come and be our teacher. Elevate the name of Jesus Christ in all of our hearts and minds, bodies and souls. In his name we pray. Amen. Psalm 145, verse 1. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all. And his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. The word of the Lord. We're building a case for church in this series, Assembly Required. One of the interesting things with quarantine is that everyone's schedules, everyone's calendars went blank overnight. If you're one of the people who keeps a printed weekly or monthly calendar, probably January and February 2020, we're, we're full, full of appointments and events and get-togethers, breakfast with so-and-so, a hair appointment, a business lunch, a business trip, dinner with the in-laws, and of course, the bachelor girls night in. But then after March 15th, the calendar went blank. 
You know, my wife was showing me her calendar, you know, and we went through April, May, June, tumbleweeds were rolling through the pages. And I say that it's interesting, but it's also kind of exciting because with all this lack of activity, each one of us now gets to decide what will go back on the calendar, right? And so before we fill our calendars with endless activity again, we all get to ask, does this really matter? Should I be doing these things? And church is not an exception. Perhaps the two most important expressions of the life of faith is the Sunday gathering this and our live groups. And so we're doing four sermons on the Sunday gathering and three on our live groups. And we're simply asking the question, do these practices matter? Now, perhaps we could say, well, church matters because it's a tradition. We've always done it, but that's not enough. Scripture gives us dozens of compelling reasons why this gathering is necessary and important. And so the way that we've been approaching this series is simply to look at four of the things that we do when we get together here and show their importance. So with the first sermon, we said, we gather to delight in God's word. With the second sermon last week, we said, we gather to confess our sins before God. And today we're saying, we gather to praise God and his name. This is a sermon on praise to God of all kinds but particularly singing, singing. Last week we finished by saying that confession of our sins to God takes us from sinning to singing. Because when you know that by the blood of Jesus, your sins are covered and washed away and forgiven, you can't help it but sing. The problem is that many of you don't sing. Could it be that your sins have not been covered, washed away or forgiven by the blood of Christ? Don't skip over that question too quickly. I've met people over the years who've come and said to me, to be honest with you, I come here for the preaching. I love that you love the preaching. I need you to love the singing. Now, I know some of you perhaps are self-conscious because of your lack of singing ability. Well, I have a solution for you. Sit in the front row. See, that's what... You know, Jeff did. No, I'm just kidding. No, sit in the front row. No one will hear you. Someone will took offense at that at the 1030 or like, they're like, hey. I was like, no, not you, you know. But no one will hear you up here. Now, perhaps you prefer a different style of music. I understand that. And I'll say more about that later on. But here's the thing. Not singing is problematic. We don't just sing to fill up time until the preaching comes. Like a child who doesn't eat vegetables. A Christian who doesn't sing is spiritually malnourished. Now, I know some of you love singing, and that's awesome. And so this message is going to help you understand singing better. And it's going to give you a deeper conviction about it and help you not only be locked in emotionally, but cognitively engaged while you sing. So here we go. We're going to look at what happens when we praise God. Why do we praise God? And then how do we praise God? Now, parents, if there are any children here, we have notes on the, under the seats. You can help your children fill in the points. Here we go. What happens when we praise God? Psalm 145 is an acrostic psalm, meaning that each verse begins with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet, as if the writer was saying to us, from A to Z and everything in between, God is to be praised. Now, I want you to look at the superscription above verse 1. What does that say? It's all in caps, small letters. It says this, a song of David. No, a song of praise 
of David. So this is a song that's going to teach us how to praise God. There are songs that teach us how to lament before God, how to cry, how to bring our sorrows before God. But this one is going to teach us how to praise God. And so here we go. Verse 1, he starts by saying, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. David here uses three different words for praise to God. Extol, bless, praise. Let's say something brief about each one of those. To extol means to lift high. To bless means something different when we do it and when God does it. Have you ever wondered that? Like we talk about God blesses you, God bless you. But then we read here about us blessing God. Wait, what does that mean? They mean different things. They're related, but they're different. When God blesses us, he, he's making us full full of strength, full of wisdom, full of peace, full of love, full of life. That's what God does for us. When you're blessed, that's how you feel about your life. Man, I'm full of all good things. When we bless God, we don't do any of those things for God. God has them all in perfection. Rather, when we bless God, we affirm that God is all those things, that God is the fullness that fills all in all. And so when we bless God, we're simply saying, your strength, your power, your wisdom, your peace, your love, your life, God, that's what we're saying when we bless him. Also praise. Praise means to express admiration. We praise beautiful people. We praise good writers. We praise artists. And so when you take those three words together, extol, bless, and praise, we get this picture of a recognition of greatness. A recognition of greatness. Think of an NBA game and the athletes, the players start coming out and hordes of fans, back when the stadiums could be open, right? Hordes of fans start chanting, LeBron, LeBron, LeBron. What are they doing? They're lifting high LeBron James's name. They're saying, here's greatness, here's power. That's one of the reasons actually why people have been missing sports so much because we love to praise others. We love to find people who are praiseworthy and tell others about it. We praise stars, we praise singers, we praise athletes, we praise rich investors on and on. We love heaping on praise on someone else whom we believe to be on another level. Now let's think back to God. When we praise God, when we lift his name, when we bless him, we are recognizing greatness that is now found anywhere else, unsearchable greatness. And in that recognition, therefore, we are learning to bow before such greatness. That's what David does. Look at verse three. He's just heaping on praise on God. Verse three, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his praise is unsearchable. Feels almost redundant, right? But it's not. It's just, he's just piling it on. Verse five, on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. So he doesn't just want to meditate on God's majesty. Amazing as that is. No, he wants to meditate on the splendor of God's majesty. But that's not enough. <laughs> he wants to meditate on the glorious splendor 
of God's majesty. Do you see? And that's just two verses. But he keeps doing that throughout the whole psalm. He's just piling it on. You see, what happens when we come here on Sunday and we praise God with our lips, what's happening is that we're practicing for the rest of our week and the rest of our body. When we sing praise to God, we're making our time holy and our body holy. Let me explain. Let's begin with time. In a few moments, we're going to sing these words. Our hope is in you alone. Our strength in your mighty name. Our peace in the darkest day remains Jesus. We're going to sing that in a few minutes. When we gather here on Sundays, we sing for about 20 minutes altogether. 20 minutes. The week has 10,080 minutes. So we just sing for a fraction of the week, right? But if in those 20 minutes, you're able to leave worry and want and work, you're able to leave conflict and struggle and truly focus on what you're saying, what you're singing, you'll be connecting yourself with eternity. And you'll have an experience that then you'll be able to take with you and multiply it throughout your week. So singing praise to God, you're declaring mastery over all of your time. You're saying, my time is holy unto the Lord. My hope is in you alone. My strength in your mighty name. My peace in the darkest day remains. Not just in these 20 minutes, all 10,000. That's what's happening with your time in this holy hour. You're sanctifying your entire week. That's time. Let's talk about the body now. How does singing praise to God help our whole body? How is it that as we sing, we are becoming holy in all of our body? Here's why. When we sing, our whole body is involved. Now, less of your body is involved for those of you who sing perhaps like this. Our hope is in you alone. Our strength in your mighty name. Our peace in the darkest day remains. Like you're trying to be a ventriloquist. But for those of you who come close to breaking a sweat when you sing, your arms and your hands are involved. Your lungs are expanded. Your face muscles get a workout. Your mouth and your tongue are moving, you see? So in that 20 minutes, your whole body is expressing itself, not in sin, listen to me, not in sin, but in holiness. So much of the sin that we do is expressed through our bodies, right? Think about that. So much of the sin that we get involved in happens through our bodies. Not all of it. There's a lot of sin that happens in the heart, in the mind, but so much of it happens through our bodies. The Apostle Paul says very important things to us about this in the book of Romans in chapter 6. I'm going to read you a couple of verses. Here's what he says about this, Romans 6, 12. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body. So Don't let sin be Lord over you, this, over this body. To make you obey its passions. Do not present your members 
So when he says your members, he's referring to the members of our bodies, such as our fingers, our hands, our arms, our eyes, our heads, our sexual organs, our legs, on and on. So he says, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So we can take this body in which we live life on earth and we can submit it or we can surrender it as instruments for holy purposes or unholy purposes. So our eyes can look at a naked man or woman, not our spouse, or they can look at the word of God. Right? Same eyes. Our hands can put one, two, four, ten drinks into our mouths, or they can change the diaper of a neglected orphan halfway across the world. Same hands. Our mouths can speak vitriol against our political opponents, or they can spread the gospel far and wide. Same mouth. You see? So we can take every part of our bodies and submit them for holy purposes, for righteousness, or for unholy purposes, for unrighteousness. And when we sing, and our whole body's involved, we are gaining mastery over our body for every other sphere of life. You see what happens when we praise God? This is what happens when we praise God. We are recognizing God's unsearchable greatness and declaring that our body and our time are holy unto the Lord. So let me ask you, if you come to church, let's say once a month, and you barely sing, do you also, okay, so maybe that's you. You come rarely, you sing rarely. Do you also find that you often surrender your body and time to sin? Don't think that the correlation is weak between sinning much and singing little. Powerful things are happening in this holy hour as we come here by faith and we give ourselves over to our God. Powerful things are happening for the rest of your week and for every part of your body. So that's what happens when we praise God. Number two, why is God to be praised? And the answer is simple, because God is great because God is glorious. And so we're gonna walk through this Psalm quickly to see how the writer accomplishes this goal of a song of praise, because that's what it says it is. So he begins in verse one, verses one and two, by telling us what he's gonna do. He says, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name. So then he proceeds, so that's what he's gonna do. He's gonna extol, bless, praise the name of God. And so then, then he proceeds to do just that by telling us, by showing us how God's character is praiseworthy. And so in verse three, he begins, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all. 
and his mercies over all that he has made. Doesn't this sound like a love song? David's in love with God. He's just telling us, he's just heaping on the praise. You are glorious, you are great, you're mighty acts. You're good to all. You're slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He's just going on profusely. He's just pouring forth. He talks about God's loving kindness, his steadfast love. I told you last week that perhaps the most significant thing that has changed as I've walked with God for 26 years now, this most significant thing that has changed in me, in my perception of God, is God's hesed, God's loving kindness, which here in verse 8 is translated as his steadfast love. Do you see it? Circle it. That's God's hesed. That will transform your life if you understand that God is abounding in steadfast love. Well, it's important because God's hesed shows up in verse eight and it's one of the reasons that David praises God, but it becomes super important in verse 10. Let's look at verse 10 together. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. The word translated saints is the Hebrew word hasidim, hasid which is the adjectival word uh, form of hesed. You hear it, right? Hesed, hesed. You see what this is saying? This is amazing. When we see the word saints, we see it so often, it doesn't mean anything to us anymore. Saints, sinners, saints. No, what verse 10 is saying is, your hesed ones, your saints, your hesed ones shall bless you. God's hesed, God's loving kindness don't miss this. God's loving kindness becomes the stamp, the seal over us, the Hesed ones. Like father, like son, right? God is love, so we love. God forgives, so we forgive. God is kind, so we're kind. That's what it's saying. There's no such a thing as an unkind Christian. There shouldn't be. An unkind Christian is an oxymoron, like saying a virtuous pimp. Not such a thing. Do you want to commend the faith to the world out there? Be kind. Be kind. Be kind in all you do. When people out there are hateful and nasty, be you be kind. You be kind on your social media posts. Be generous when people out there are greedy. Go the extra mile. That's what the Hesed ones do. Because God is abounding in loving kindness. We abound in the same loving kindness. And so now the, the psalm keeps going. And now God's Hesed people, you'll see that they start appearing. Now God's Hesed people join this celebration of praise. It started with David. And he says now, and we'll tell other generations, and they will praise God. And now he's talking about God's covenant people, God's hesed people. Now we get to verses 11, 12, and 13, which are the core of the psalm. And there's a theme there. See if you pick it up as we read it. Verse 11. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. Come on, what was the theme? Can you yell it out? God's kingdom, right? 
kingdom shows up four times. Your kingdom. Now he's praising God for his kingdom. Now God's has said people are praising him for his kingdom, for the fact that it's eternal, endures forever and ever. The fact that it's glorious and, and splendid. The fact that it's to be made known to the children of men. This is all worthy of praise. And so now, as he finishes the psalm, he tells us not just who God is that is praiseworthy. Now he tells us what God does that is praiseworthy. And so we go on in verse 14. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. Don't you love that? So many people this year feel like they're falling. And maybe you feel that because this has been a tough year. Maybe you just feel like you're falling. Listen, you love God. You're not going to fall. You're not going to fall. It says right there, he upholds those falling. You're falling. He's there. He's going to catch you. If you say too late, I'm already down. It's also covered. It says he raises up those who are bowed down. He will find you in that place of lowliness where you are and he will lift you up. That's God. Maybe you need to hear that today. Verse 15, the eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind. Here it is again, has said, kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him but all the wicked he will destroy. He's just piling on the praise. He's just saying to us, right? God doesn't let us fall. God raises us up when we are you know, bowed low. God feeds us, he opens his hand, he satisfies our desires. God hears us when we call out to him and he saves us. God is near. Do you feel like God is distant from you? No, he is near. He's near to all who call on him in truth. And then he says, and he destroys all wickedness, which praise God for that. And so this is why we gather together on Sunday to praise God. This is why we're here singing songs to him because of who God is. So we sing to him and we sing about him, but we do it not just on Sundays. Every season, every day, God is to be praised. Every season, every day, God is to be praised. Sunday simply trains our bodies and shifts our time. But every season, every day, God is to be praised. And so the last thing for us to examine is how. How do we praise him? So I'm going to leave you with seven things from this psalm. Seven ways that we praise God. We've talked about most of them already. So here we go. How do we praise God? Number one, singing. We praise him by singing. This is a song. In verse seven, it says that we shall sing aloud of God's righteousness. Some other verbs in this song could be translated as sing praises. Church, listen to me. We gather together to sing, to sing God's praise. This is one of the most important things that we do as the people of God. We left two songs for after the sermon so that we can respond to this very sermon with praise. We're gonna take communion also, which will be glorious. But this is what we gather to do. And maybe you're here and you love singing. Maybe right now you're going, I knew that it's singing to God was important. Yes. But maybe it's difficult for you. Maybe singing is hard for you. And so ask God to help you overcome the surface and get to the substance. 
Maybe you'd prefer a different style of singing. So look past it. Look past it. Don't get hung up on it. Look past it. When I went to India a couple of years back and to Thailand earlier this year, one of the highlights of the trip was singing with the people of God. The songs, different style. The language, different. Time zone, different. Songs were kind of old, actually. But it didn't matter because I knew, I knew while I was there, I knew this boy, this orphan standing next to me has had a rough life. Our lives are like worlds apart. But what matters right now is that we're both declaring that Jesus Christ is Lord and it was glorious. And so let's sing aloud. Let's lift high the name of God and let's not be late for the Sunday services and miss half the songs. So how do we praise God? Singing. How do we praise God? Number two, every day. How do we praise him? We praise him every day. Look at verse two. Every day, I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Do you still your heart before the Lord every day? Do you allow what God does in you on Sunday? Right here, right now, God is doing all kinds of things in each one of us. Do you allow that to permeate the rest of your week? Does transformation begin here and goes with you every day? Every day we praise God. Number three, actually three and four go together. How do we praise him? Commending his works to the next generation. There's two there. We commend his works to the next generation. Look at verse four. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. So this is first we declare, we speak of God's mighty acts. And we do that, yes, to the people who are our friends and all of that, but we do it also to the next generation. He says it again in verse 12, to make known the splendor of God's kingdom to the children of man. Now here, a quick word for parents. I know that the end of the spring was unusual and the end of the school year was hard for families and this has been a strange summer. Understand all of that, but let's cherish. Let's cherish this unparalleled opportunity that we've had to be with our children. Our family's favorite thing during quarantine was that we got to be with each other so much. Some of them didn't want it to end. It was like a good groundhog's day. It's like, what are we doing tomorrow? Tomorrow we're going to be with each other. And the next day, and the day after that, we're going to be together. That's what it was like. But it was so great to be able to do that. Parents, there's so much faith and worldview and values that you get to instill on your children. So cherish those moments. They're precious from the time they're little babies all the way until they're grown. Cherish those moments. It's so powerful. And for all of us, I can't wait until we're able to safely open up again our kids' ministry classrooms so that all different ones of us can get in there and tell, tell these little ones of the greatness, the mighty deeds of God. Can, I, can you join me in that prayer? Can we pray this to God? Yes? Yes, yes, let's ask God to bring us together, to be able to bring all the families of the church back together safely so that so many of you that do such an amazing job teaching our children will be able to continue 
doing that. Number five, how do we praise God? Meditating, meditating. Verse five, on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. My wife has always been such a source of inspiration to me through the years. And during this whole season, she's been sensing God calling her to a more contemplative, to a more reflective life and lifestyle. You know, my wife is a do person. I mean, she's going and she's doing. But she's sensing God calling her, whispering to her that he wants her to, to posture herself to receive from him, to listen to him in a more, in a slower way. And so it's been so amazing to just watch her do that, to watch her just sit there with the Lord and ponder and meditate the greatness of God on the greatness of God. Do you meditate? Do you meditate on God's word? Remember that God is near to all who call on him. God's not distant. You call on him is right there. All who call on him in truth tomorrow. Open the word of God and slowly gaze upon his glory. Next, how do we praise him? Trusting in his might. Trusting in his might. Did you notice that so many of the words that David uses in this psalm and in so many others are about God's strength, God's might, God's power. And I think we need to hear this today because we need to center our lives back on God and trust him alone. We need to declare God's power, his sovereignty over all of life. Because I fear that many of you are beginning to cede control of your lives over to natural forces like the virus or to social forces like the news cycle or to political forces like the election. This has to stop. Do you think the virus has power to change your expiration date? You think God had one plan for your life, but then along came the virus and derailed that plan? Not a chance. I'm not saying we shouldn't be careful. We must. What I am saying is that nothing has changed when it comes to your protection and God's purposes for you on the earth. When God says our life is over, guess what? It is over. Virus or not, masked or not. You see, this is why we must praise God. This is why we must lift high his name and extol his name and bless his name. Because as we do this, the space, the mental and emotional space that God occupies in our lives expands. And CNN and NPR and Fox and all the rest are put in the rightful proper place. When we praise God, fear falls. Anxiety falls. Pettiness falls. Idolatry falls. Idolatry is the tail wagging the dog. I think that some of you need to turn off the news, turn off the noise, and turn on the praise. Every season, every day, God must be praised. And finally, how do we praise him? Enjoying his hesed. Enjoying his loving kindness. Verse 8 says, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. God isn't just faithful in love, you guys. He abounds in it. Let me ask you something. When you think of God, is he 
harsh? Is he distant? Is he a strict disciplinarian? Is he a killjoy? That sounds a lot like a father, like a flawed father on earth, which is all of us who are dads. But that's not God. That's not God at all. God abounds in loving kindness, in steadfast love. The greatest demonstration of God's said of God's loving kindness to us was the giving, the sending of his son for us to save us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Romans 5, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us while we were enemies of God. How much more now that we've been reconciled by Christ shall God love us and save us and give all of himself to us forever? How much more? And so enjoy, enjoy God's loving kindness. Learn it, learn it, meditate upon it. It'll change your life. We're gonna get to respond to this with two songs. So sing them aloud with communion. So reflect on the body of the Lord and his blood given for us. We get to affirm what the last verse of this glorious psalm affirms. Look at verse 21. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Listen, church. When Israel came out of Egypt by God's mighty hand, they sang. When David brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, they sang, great celebration. When Jesus was arrested, just before he was arrested, the night before he paid for our sins, they sang. When Paul and Silas went to prison for the gospel, they sang. And when the full church of God gathers in heaven, we will sing forever and ever and bless his glorious name. So let's raise our voices and lift high the name of our King. Let's pray. God, we love you. We come before you right now aware that we need you, God. Our bodies need you. We need you to sanctify all of our time, all 10,080 minutes of every week. Sanctify them to yourself, God. We need our bodies to be sanctified to you, God. Father, I pray that you would transform the way we worship every week by this word. I pray, God, that none of us would try to be ventriloquist as we sing. I pray that we would proclaim your greatness, that our lungs would expand and our faces would get a workout and our arms would would rise. I pray, Father, that, that we would know that we are to declare to the next generation your mighty deeds. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for this amazing psalm. Thank you for teaching us through it to learn to heap on praise for you, God, because you are great and greatly to be praised, and your greatness is unsearchable. Father, as we also ponder the mystery of the cross, the body of the Lord given for us, his blood shed for our sins. 
Oh God, we confess our sins to you and we receive your washing, your cleansing. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today.